0: I want for us this morning, here at the beginning of the year, to spend some time, not just this morning, but over the four Sundays of January, I want, I want to spend some time anchoring us in some very foundational realities of the Christian life. Four anchor points. I think it's good for us to do this kind of thing as we start a new year and kind of take advantage of the natural time of evaluation and refocusing that happens when we transition from one year to the next. So in the month of January, I want us to focus on four anchor points for our lives as followers of Christ. Think of that image of an anchor, a place that is um, solidly hooked in, locked into what is solid and firm. And this morning, partly motivated by the Bible reading plan that we just saw in that video, that many are beginning this week, certainly not limited to that, I want us to focus on the importance of God's Word being a day-by-day influence, a day-by-day resource in our lives. So let's look here this morning at this, this treasure of a psalm, absolutely wonderful psalm, you follow along, As I read, this is God's word. Blessed is the man, the person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, our hearts are wide open. At least I trust they are. God, as soon as I pray that, I realize I need to pray, God, open our hearts. Pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning what you have for us. We know there is something here in your word from you for us this morning. And so, God, I pray, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts that we might receive what you have for us. God, I pray that we would not miss the opportunity that is right here, right now. Help us to quiet ourselves, purposefully place ourselves under your word so that we might hear and benefit and that we might know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we dive in, this morning, let's just take a little moment and remind ourselves about what is happening right now. When we come to this moment on Sunday mornings, my job is to faithfully preach what is here in this book, God's Word, so that there might be a genuine hearing on your part of God's Word, a genuine encounter between God and us Sunday by Sunday, and your job You realize you have a job, right? Your job is to make sure that there is an active taking in of God's Word. Not just a passive listening. Don't just be passive listeners this morning. But instead, an active receiving and a faithful responding to God's Word and in a passage like this our jobs both our jobs are made easier by the fact that this message and the meaning of this psalm is quite clear There is not much ambiguity here in this psalm at all I mean think about God's Word as as a mountain range with a bunch of beautiful peaks and valleys and sometimes the clouds come in and they obscure the view. They, they cover the peaks and sometimes come down into the valley so that some places are hard to see clearly and are hard to find your way around. Certainly we're going to discover that as we read our Bibles this year, but there are also places that are as clear as can be. They stand out in very distinct profile. Psalm 1 is one of those places. Not all of the Bible is immediately clear. This is clear. And you can see that the psalmist is doing everything he can to help us. This psalm is very nicely broken up into three stanzas, each of those stanzas with two verses. You'll see a break there after every two verses. That's on purpose. The psalm has three distinct parts, like three steps, and each one of those steps has a point to make, and they work together, they build, to communicate a powerful life truth that every one of us needs to hear this morning. So let's look at each step one at a time. The first step is there in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here's what I see being said there. Every human being is going to be occupied with something. Everybody's going to dwell on or feed on something. We were were made for our minds and our hearts to be engaged, to take things in. We're not like rocks. Our minds and our hearts were made to receive and to be affected by what we take in. So it's really important what we take in, right? And these verses present two distinct possibilities of what you might be occupied by, what you might dwell on or in. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And as soon as you see that not, you know he's setting us up for a contrast. As soon as you see that negative, you know he's heading towards some positive, but you also know that he's trying to heighten that positive positive. What he's going to say in verse 2 is really important, so he takes pains to heighten it by this this emphatic negative in verse 1. Three times not. The blessed man doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. He doesn't dwell there. He doesn't occupy his mind and his heart in these places, on these things. You know what I see there in verse 1? It's a progression into being more and more occupied progressively more defined by something. You see it in the verbs. I mean, first he's just kind of walking, and then he stops, and he's standing, and then he sits down, increasingly occupied, increasingly dwelling on what is talked about there in verse 1. And you can see this pattern played out so many times in the lives of people that are recounted in the pages of Scripture. Maybe, maybe you know this pattern very personally, where there is some kind of curiosity, some intrigue with something that we know is sin. We just notice it, kind of drawn a little bit toward it, and then, and then we step in. There is this participation in the sin, and then there is a terrible settling in, getting comfortable with it. And let's not miss the clear fact that what this person is increasingly occupied with is what is contrary to God. It is the counsel of the wicked, those who have no time for God's ways. It's the way of sinners, those who have chosen to actively disregard God's ways. It's the seat of scoffers, those who who actually make light of God's ways. You know, as parents, if you're a parent, you know this. We can be so aware of this pattern in our children. And we can, when we see it, we can get concerned, and, and we do our best to arrest the progression of this pattern. But the truth is that this can be descriptive of our lives as well, as adults. I mean, verse 1 describes a pattern all too common in humanity of giving ourselves, for all kinds of reasons, to things that are other than God's ways. But that is not what God intends for us. That is not the place of blessing. It's not the place of real happiness. No, that is found in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see the contrast, right? The very first word of verse 2 tells us, here's the contrast, but... The blessed man, the truly happy person, does not dwell there in that stuff of verse 1. He's not occupied with those ways. No, his occupation is in the law of the Lord. In fact, he delights in that. And it's the fact that it's God's law that makes it a delight to him. Now, don't stumble. Let's not stumble over that word law. That word is actually referring to all of God's word. In fact, it's actually pointing to something larger, something bigger behind God's word. That phrase, the law of the Lord, mark this, is speaking of what we would call the ways of God. The ways of God that grow out of his character, his heart, who he is. And that's what we delight in. Fundamentally, our delight is in God, in who he is and what he is like. And so think about this, to have that, the ways of God, the heart of God, the love, the wisdom of God for us, laid out for us in a book. I mean, what a privilege. What a great thing God has done for us when he made available to us his ways, his heart, himself. Friends, don't make the mistake of thinking that you're supposed to delight in this book as just a collection of information. Now, our delight is in what this book sets forth, the ways, the heart of God. We come to know God here. We hear from God here. That's what this psalm is talking about. Yes, we delight in this book, we dwell on it and in it, but it's because it's in this book that we encounter the heart and the mind of God, and through it we can enjoy God himself. Now, let's be completely honest. A little reality check here. It doesn't always feel delightful, does it? Sometimes the ways of the Lord feel hard and confusing. I mean, it's hard, for example, when God's Word tells us to do everything without complaining and grumbling. It's so much easier to complain and grumble. It kind of feels good. I can't do anything about that situation, so at least I can voice my complaint. About the situation, and that's just one simple little example. I mean, you come to some of these things that you're going to read in the Old Testament, and it's like hard stuff and confusing. And how does that apply to me? It's hard. You know, I can tell you out of my experience as a pastor. You want to know what's hard? Sin is hard. Going the way of verse one is really hard. I mean, the tears and the heartache and the groaning and the, the, the effects on you mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically. Listen, we were not made to bear the weight of our sin. Sin is hard. You, you go in thinking that's where you're going to find some happiness or some fulfillment or something, But sin never keeps its promises. It never satisfies. It always ends up being a weight. And one of the things the Bible wants to do is to expose that, the deceitfulness of sin. And instead, it wants to make us aware, it wants to point to the goodness of the ways of the Lord the goodness of what he has promised to us in his word, the goodness of what he instructs us in his word, the goodness of him making himself known to us in his word. There is goodness here for us, God inviting us to engage with him and to enjoy him. Friends, that word delight is there in verse 2 for a reason. Don't undersell that word. That Word means that you will be joyfully aware of the goodness of something. That's what delight means. When you are delighting in a meal, or when you're delighting in being with friends and family, or when you are delighting in just some spectacular scene of natural beauty, I mean you look at that sunset and it's just absolutely stunning. Delighting is being joyfully aware of the goodness of something. It's not something you have to kind of muster up. You know, sadly, that's how I understood this verse all through my teenage years. I didn't feel that much delight in reading my Bible, and that verse tells me I'm supposed to feel delight, and so I would try to make it happen try to muster up some delight. And you know what? I couldn't do it. And so I would think, what's wrong with me? Something wrong with me. Am I even a Christian? I tell you, when that verse is misunderstood, that way it just can bring condemnation. So how does it happen? How do we get there? Let me tell you how it happens. You taste and you see you find out that God is good, that his ways are good. It's not you drumming up delight, it's you experiencing the reality of the goodness of God in his ways. There's something about God in his ways that when you experience them, you will grow to delight in them. And in our delight, we will be drawn to spend time there again tomorrow and the next day. That's that's what he means when he says in verse 2, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's not reading his Bible all the time, just kind of going around through life with his Bible. No, he's got to work. He's got to sleep. He's got to eat. He's got to talk to and interact with his wife and his children. He's not just kind of constantly reading his Bible. That's not what that means. It means that he's Taking in God's Word in such a way that God's ways are regularly recurring, a part of his mindset and and his thoughts. And it brings him joy. It brings him delight. It brings him real happiness. Oh, the happiness of the man. That's what that first line of this psalm means. Oh, the happiness of the person. So, first step. Every human being is going to be occupied with something. Oh, how happy is the person who is occupied with God and his ways. Step number two. What you are occupied with shapes you. What we are occupied with shapes us, and no one is exempt from that. I mean, this is a hard and fast rule of life. What you dwell on, what you take in, shapes who you are and what your life is like. God made us that way. God made us so that what we take into our minds and our hearts shapes our feelings and our attitudes and our values and our beliefs and how we live. That's how we work as human beings. And nobody is exempt. So, So the question is, What are you feeding yourself on? What is occupying you? That's what we saw in verses 1 and 2. And now in step 2, verses 3 and 4, we see how it works out in the life. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. There, in verse 3, we get this just absolutely beautiful, powerful image, this tree that is feeding on streams of water. And it's very clear that the writer intends us to understand that those streams of water are the law of the Lord, the ways of God. That's what's nourishing this tree. And as a result, three things are true of this tree. It's fruitful. It yields its fruit. It's consistently vibrant. Its leaf does not wither and it's flourishing, it's prospering, it's a beautiful, growing, flourishing tree. Now again, let's not misunderstand that last phrase with that word prospers. That is not talking about what the preachers of the prosperity gospel are talking about. However, in our effort to avoid that error, let's not swing all the way over to the other side and make a different mistake. The fact is that walking in God's ways does bring a lot of physical and tangible benefit and it spares you from a lot of physical hardship. God's Word is not afraid to speak of that reality. But still, the prosperity here has more to do with your spiritual health and wholeness. Living life as God intended us to live it with clean consciences, and joyful spirits and happy, healthy relationships and the assurance of eternity. Therefore, I don't need to be afraid about death. I tell you, there is a treasure house of goodness in living in God's ways. I love what this image in verse three communicates. This person has a fruitfulness and vitality and productivity about him. There are things happening in him and flowing out of him. What he dwells on shapes him. And it's true for those who dwell on something other than God's ways as well. We see it in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff. You know what chaff is, right? It's It's the hull of a kernel. There's no fruit in chaff. There's no weight. There's no substance. There's no vibrancy in chaff. It's just, it's gone. I mean, the contrast between verse 3 and verse 4 could not be more dramatic. Step 2 of this psalm is as clear as step 1. What you dwell on, what you are occupied with, shapes your life and what you are like. Now, third, step 3. What shapes our lives leads to a final destiny. Everybody dwells on something. What we dwell on shapes our lives, and what shapes our lives leads ultimately to a final destiny. Look at verse five. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the Bible teaches that there is this coming day of judgment when we will stand before God, every one of us. I have a very clear and distinct memory of sitting on the edge of my son's bed. He was maybe seven or eight years old, and I told him, Son, someday you will stand before God as your judge. And mom and dad will not be able to answer for you. You'll have to answer for yourself. And God made a way for you to stand there without any fear of judgment. Jesus took your judgment for you. So if you trust in him and what he did for you, and by faith receive this gift of forgiveness and life that he offers, you will have nothing to fear on that day. And that's true. But look at this. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And look at that last phrase of verse 6, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know what? A person does not need to be actively hostile toward God to be in that place. A person could simply just push God and his ways aside and say, I don't have time for that. I don't believe that stuff. Their destiny is clear. The last word of this psalm is not just sobering. It's terrifying. Perish. And the Bible uses all sorts of language to describe the destiny of those who have turned away from God and his ways. They will perish. They'll be cut off. They'll be thrown into outer darkness. Perhaps the most terrifying way the Bible speaks is that they will be forever, forever separated from God who, whether we acknowledge it or not, is the source of anything good in our existence. But would you please look at the first line of verse 6? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You see that word knows? You you should do everything you can to highlight that word. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word knows is so rich and so full of meaning. It speaks of, of this close care, full oversight, full protection. The Lord watches over those who are his, and he will bring them all the way through, ultimately safely home, I mean, what a promise this is if you are in Christ. What an assurance this is. If you are in Christ, the Lord is watching over your way, and he will watch over your way all the way. And then when you stand before God on that day, your sins will not be counted against you. They're paid for. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. And you are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And you will be welcomed home. All of that is contained in embryonic form in that word knows. The Lord knows. You can see what's at stake here, right? Only one life will soon be passed. Only one life, it will soon be passed, and it leads for all of us into eternity. So let me be crystal clear. It is of utmost importance that we grasp the reality of this. There's so much at stake, and this life can be so dangerous. Not can be, it is so dangerous. It's very attractive, It's very potent, it can be so preoccupying. I mean the getting and the spending of money and the positioning of ourselves at work and in the world and the pursuit of all sorts of different kinds of enjoyments, this life has the ability to occupy our entire attention. But on that day when we stand before God on Judgment Day, if all you've concerned yourself with in this life are things other than God and His ways, All the things that seem so alluring and so important here, they will be nowhere to be found, vanished. And only those who are in God will stand. And the Bible wants you to know that so that we're not caught off guard. It is saying, here, here is how to live. Here is life. Dwell on God and in His ways. Friends, this is the message of Psalm 1. We all dwell on, we all allow ourselves to be occupied by something. What we dwell on shapes our lives, and that ultimately leads to a destiny, an eternal destiny. And God says, choose this, knowing and being known by God. So as we enter into 2021, let us do what verse 2 says. Let us purpose to turn to and delight in the law of the Lord. Let Let us read our Bibles and enjoy God this year. So whether you are specifically doing the read and enjoy plan this year or not, I hope I trust you will be in the Word purposefully this year and let us not just read just to fulfill some you know internal or external sense of obligation No, let us purpose to dwell in God's Word to go to God's Word for life and to be shaped in our thinking and in our feeling and in our living let us look for God's heart and look for God's mind. Let's talk to him as he's speaking to us. And in the process, I believe we will find ourselves enjoying God in new and fresh ways, in deeper ways. That's what I want. That's what I'm eagerly hoping for, for all of us. How will it happen? Let's get really practical. It will happen as you do the unglamorous thing of taking some time day by day and going to your place. I find it very helpful personally to start with a brief little prayer. It could be as simple as, God, as I read your word, would you please make yourself known to me? Or you could Pray some prayer right out of Scripture. God, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things out of your law. Or, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. Find that in Psalm 25. Or, Father, out of the riches of your glory, strengthen me with power, by your spirit, in my inner being, so that as I read your word this morning, Christ might dwell in my heart, by faith. You can find that in Ephesians chapter three. Or one of my favorite things to pray, God, as I come to your word now, would you form? your mind in me and your heart in me so that I can think about things the way you think about things and feel about things the way you feel about things so that I can live today in a way that is pleasing to you. And having prayed like that, you now open your Bible according to your plan, a time, a place, and a plan, and you read. And meditate on what you're reading, praying as you read, engaging with God. Fully expectant that God will meet with you because he's told you he will. Let God's word turn your heart toward God. Seek God. Don't just read to check your box. No, read and enjoy God. Loved ones, let's not miss out on anything God has for us in 2021. Let's tune our hearts and tune our minds like a radio, tuned in to pick up everything God has for us. Let us let his word work in us and prepare us and speak to us. Let's let it be a plow and seed and water. And then let us look for what God might grow in us both in terms of fruitfulness and in terms of our love for and our joy in him. May it happen. May it happen. For our good and for his glory in 2021. Let's pray. Father, even now as we close our time here, I want to pray for those who might be struggling with some lack of faith toward this whole thing of reading the Bible, maybe some discouragement. God, I pray, meet them. Help them to take steps. But then, God, meet us, we pray. Thank you for your promises that tell us that when we seek you with all our hearts, you will be found by us. When we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so God, help us. Give us faith, and then we pray, give us delight in you. And God, I want to pray. Seems like an unrelated thing. I just want to pray for our community this week. For peace and protection. We pray for every one of the officers that serve in our police force, for those who will come in. God, we pray your protection and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that as Christians we would be salt and light. And we pray particularly for those men who are believers in the police force that you would give them faith to do their jobs well. We pray in Jesus' name.